Welcome to the family with Doug Sprinthal, Alex Rampernard Rasmussen, co-host Catherine Brandt, and Andy Rampernard. And Michael Bryant will join us the next 10, 15, 20 minutes, somewhere in there. We'll be right back. Glenn Dunsweiler, a degree in homelessness, entrepreneurial skills for students. We'll talk to Glenn right after this with the family. Doug, you going to do your own Walzer spot since you're in? I Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but I certainly can. Uh, and I do have something new to talk about. It's a new product we came out with last year called the Worry-Free Lease. And it is optional. It does cost a little bit of money, but it's not very much. It adds a few dollars a month to your payment. And basically, it covers everything that isn't covered during the course of a normal lease. Tire rotations, oil changes, any wearable items like batteries or windshield wipers that go, go bad, roadside assistance, all that stuff is covered out uh, through the balance of your lease. So it's something to check out. You can read about it on walzer.com, or if you happen to be in the store, ask them about the new worry-free lease thing. It's kind of cool. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean. Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Hey folks, Brian Zepp here. Spring is gearing up, and if you're like me, you've already got the itch to hit the road. Make sure you and your motorcycle are ready with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, metric cruiser, or sport bike, you'll find what you need at DennisKirk.com. They've got 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets too. Order before 8 p.m. and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Get in gear and head to DennisKirk.com. Take it from Zepp. They ship today. Very good, ladies and gentlemen. Brian's up on the show doing Dennis Kirk. That's one thing I'm impressed with. I have not, if I met Dennis Kirk, it was very briefly. I don't think I've ever met him, though, but he's a very loyal guy. See, that's what I like. He said, I want to advertise on the podcast, but I'm going to keep Brian. I went, that's good. The loyalty means a lot to me. So. so back in my motorcycle riding days, I bought a lot of stuff from those guys, and they were great prices and great service. Yep. It really is a great outfit. Are you heading for adventure? Yeah, now I'm not. <laughs> just, what the now I'm just heading for the bathroom. <laughs> You're heading, getting a little hurling getting in? But no, I do. I admire that. Loyalty is a great thing. I should mention also that uh, in the next, oh, several days to a couple of weeks, uh, Andy and I are going to do a separate hour from these two hours. Uh, talking to my good friend, uh, well, I won't say who it is yet until we get it rolling, but we're going to back to a three-hour format, but that third hour is going to be 
uh, a one-on-one -on -one interview or two-on-one because Andy will be there too. But if you have any suggestions who you'd like me to interview for that hour, I've already gotten a few. Uh, Doug, of course, obviously, you could uh, suggest a few. The, the first two uh, that have been suggested to me are Mike Lindell and Donald Trump. So now who you got in your camp, Dougie? Well, I'd try to get the president of the Ukraine. He's a little busy right now, but Zelensky. you'd probably get quite a few listeners. I have, an, I have a suggestion. Glenn Dunsweiler. You could get Glenn on. Yeah, absolutely, Glenn. That works for me. But, yeah, so we'll, we'll get uh, – that will be a nice balance. It would be Glenn Dunsweiler and Donald Trump. What do you think, Glenn? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I like it. Ladies and gentlemen, the book, A Degree in Homelessness, Entrepreneurial Skills for Students. Glenn Dunsweiler wants students to succeed. After teaching at universities for 11 years and seeing students put themselves into debt with no exit strategy, he looks to give students the tools he wishes he had while he was in school. Education doesn't have to be confusing. The, uh, the confusing poverty trap it has become. I'm glad you put it that way, Glenn, because why has it become such a confusing poverty trap? What is this all about? So we are taught that going to school and getting a degree is the key to success. And we, we, we treat going to school and getting a degree as the golden ring. But the truth is, after we get the golden ring, no one really cares about that golden ring but you. And you have to know how to live your life after you get that golden ring. And school does not teach you how to succeed after education. And that is the conundrum. Glenn, this is going to be a great hour because uh, in studio with us, Doug Sprinthal, uh, who comes in usually on Thursdays, but he's also kind of filling in today, and his father was a, uh, a professor. So, so Doug, you guys are going to have an interesting conversation, I think. Yeah, I, well, yeah I, I, I'm a proponent of higher education, but as the parent of four kids, uh, three of them that are in college, I also realize that the financial... <laughs> Pain is, well, let's put it this way. This is why I start drinking vodka and orange juice at 8 in the morning. <laughs> not a, not a good path, my friend. Not a good path. Yeah, so what's that all about? I, Catherine's mic's not on for some reason. My mic is not on. Well, it it was. was on. Hello? Hello? Is that it? No, that's not it. Guy, talk amongst yourselves because mm. I have to get your... your Doug, you and Glenn talk for a second because I gotta get her mic to work. <laughs> working. It's working. Uh, there she goes. No, it's really loud. Sorry. Yeah, you have to. You, you can't move that mic around. I didn't. Liar. Anyway, we're back, Glenn and and, and Doug. So nice conversation you both had there. Did no, you I. You know, I came from a, a family that uh, my my dad and his brother and sister. Raised by a single mom in the 30s, all went on to become college professors. And I'm a prototypical American family where going to college is an expectation. But when you look at, at, at how the finances have changed and all the other occupations that are out there, I, I'm not as convinced that, it was, uh, that, that it's quite as worthy as it was a while ago. Now, that being said, my kids wanted to go. I didn't make them do it. You stop making kids do stuff when they hit 13. So um, I don't know. It is, I think it is a different world right now, and it's just appalling how expensive it is. It's unbelievable. Glenn, is it a situation sure. last Last I heard, Glenn, the top rate now is like seventy-three thousand dollars a year. Is that correct? 
Um, I don't know, but I know it's expensive. And how how do you do a cost benefit analysis on that? Right. You better do a cost benefit analysis on that. You better learn how to do it because I would hate to pay seventy three grand a year for four years to get out to have an opportunity to earn twenty four dollars an hour because I'm right. never going to be able to pay that back, right? And that's what we're that's what we're graduating now. We're graduating people with degrees that have no opportunity to, opportunity to ever pay that debt back. And you have to go into that debt knowing how you're going to pay it back. And we're not we're not talking about that. We're just hoping that we get debt forgiveness, which is bizarre. <laughs> no, Glenn, you know? don't we as taxpayers fund a lot of these college programs? A lot of colleges get a lot of public money, do they not? Well, the, the problem is the colleges found a way to have their – their tuition guaranteed, backed by the government. So they have no incentive to match what the worth is uh, of the degree with with any kind of reality. Because 18-year-olds don't know. So they can just say, yeah, you can get a degree in French foreign language for $50,000 a year. <laughs> and people go, okay. And they pay it because they never realize that once they get out speaking French, they still owe $200,000 and there's no way they're going to pay that back. So it's, it's just, there's no balance anymore. And we are, as the, as the United States, we are saying, go to college, go to college, go to college. We'll make sure you go to college. But we're not saying we'll make sure you succeed after college, which I think is a big problem. I don't really understand how we as taxpayers keep putting up with this because all of these bad ideas come right out of our politicians. Every one of them. Some idiot politician came up with, oh, you don't worry about paying it back. Don't worry about it. Like, oh, yeah, the taxpayers have to pay it back. How about that? Yeah, I mean, it's we're writing the good story. And the good story is, like, I forget the other guest's name, but as he was saying, you know, this idea that you can advance yourself by getting a formal education, yes, but that is in the past 20, 30 years, it's turned itself on its head because that formal education is no longer guaranteeing knowledge is useful once you get out of that education in, in, a, in a way that can can earn money in a capitalist society. God, it's amazing. i got to read this paragraph. In 2015, Glenn Dunsweil, our special guest today, moved from a professorship at California State University at San Bernardino. Boy, that must have been a tough area to live, huh? Boy, I'm telling you, that CSU San Bernardino, what a horrible campus. I, sweet. I, I, have, I, have, yeah, I have had the opportunity to teach at three different types of universities with three different types of students, and, and CSU San Bernardino were the students that their group never went to college. They were the first ones to go to college, oh, and they were okay. well-meaning, but they had they had a lot of life um, difficulties that they were fighting through. They're just coming out of putting. And right. so, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So to finish, in 2015, uh, Glenn moved from a professorship at CSU San Bernardino to Los Angeles to focus on the business side of entertainment. He found distribution for 
Why Homeless, and began to work on his second film, a, bio, uh, a biopic titled Deuce, about a former student getting himself out of the uh, south side of Chicago, in addition to filmmaking and book authoring. Dunswell, but you're busy, man. You you got a lot of you got a lot of yeah. a lot of balls in the air, man. Yeah, that's the thing. That that people say that you know they're hyping it because their fathers and their parents and their church members and their whatever else their profession is. Well, I I just work on what I work on. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I don't have community. I just do all I do. I throw all these balls in the air and I just try and get them to work because that's entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial endeavors really excite me. And that's really what my life has come down to. And plus trying to, to, to grow people into wealth one story at a time, trying to help these students once I learned these entrepreneurial skills, I need to get these to these students where I couldn't help them when I was teaching at university because I didn't know. I didn't know how to define your own value. I didn't know how to do a, a, a cost-benefit analysis. I didn't know all this business stuff. And now I'm just trying to get this business stuff to these students that are just setting themselves up to fail. I love this. Read this book to find out how you can avoid a degree in homelessness. <laughs> nice way to put it, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, honestly, I, I got a degree in, I got a bachelor's degree in drama, and I got a master's degree in technology and design for live entertainment. But live entertainment is a broken business model. Entertainment is, is a broken business model. It's very competitive that everyone is, in, is competing for credits and peanuts. Right. I mean, the money is not dispersed very evenly. So I got degrees in homelessness. You know, I got out and and it was because my mother really wanted me to get a job that was stable and had insurance. I went into academia, which is another broken business model. And I just started learning, wait, what am I doing? I'm putting all my effort into something that's not sustainable this is not good. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm trying to prevent other people. If they do get degrees in something that is not um, easily monetarily uh, successful, they need to learn how they can spin it into something that can make their lives sustainable. Because I've been on that side where you have no more money to do the things you want to do. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. <laughs> No, that's very, very clear. Doug, I probably need your help on this, but I think, to tell you the truth, I went to college for one day. That was it. I lasted one day and couldn't do it anymore. But I do believe, and tell me if I'm wrong, Doug, because you would know because you went to college in this town. Um, wasn't it like $900 a semester? That pro Yeah, it probably was about that. So um, by comparison, and this will make, will make you want to go to England, my youngest decided she wants to go to the University of London, and she's over there and loves it. And it's, it's expensive, but no worse than a, a U.S. state school. So its tuition is about 19,000 pounds a year for foreigners, which she is, obviously. So it's about twenty-three or $24,000. If you're a, a, a U.K. citizen... It's three thousand pounds a year See, to go to the I'm University saying. of London. Wow. I mean, this is not, you know. Well, they don't just let any anybody into the universities either over there. Well, I that's mean, true. Yeah, yeah, it is a different you system. To, yeah. You, they yeah. assume that you can read and write, so there's no basic. Yeah, here classes. it's mostly like, are you no, literate, do. and do you have enough money? 
more yeah. importantly. Yeah. And then you're, you're basically in at that point. So you, in, in England, you really start out at probably sophomore to junior level classes when you when you start. But other than that, I was I was just stunned at how inexpensive it was for uh, residents. Yeah. You know, Glenn, I have to ask you a question. Is part of this, <clears throat> did this happen because in America this does happen quite often? We tailor everything for the very wealthy. So in other words, did all these people who, who went to college on mom and dad's dime because they lived in a wealthy family uh, now decide that the only people that who should go to college are wealthy people? Because other people, as you said, can never repay it. They can't afford $70,000, $73,000 a year to go to college. Was this a move to try to keep education among the wealthiest of us? Was that part of it? I, I, I don't think so at all. I think Good. this was a move. It's, it's a business move. The, the, the universities found a way to passively scale their income. And when I was teaching, I realized that the administration was just taking the lion's share of the cash because they figured it out. They know business better mm-hmm. than the teachers do. Better than the students do. And that's what's happening. People in in the United States, if you can figure out how to make short-term money, you are rewarded. And we've been doing that, I say, since the 70s. You know, we've been starting to eat away at the, the, the economic machine we built out of World War II. It really started for short-term money gains, really, I see, in the 70s. So that's what we're doing it's short-term money gains for other people that's why these these tuition hikes have gotten more and more expensive you're paying more for less opportunity because someone will pay it and someone's figured out how to market it and someone's figured out how to sell the good story and they're raking it in universities are doing well because they sell the good story they don't give necessarily the good story. They they get you trapped, and that's what I'm trying to to balance out. I'm not Glenn, saying don't go to college. I'm saying know why you're going to college and make sure that right, you get right. what you need out of your education. Glenn, you bring up a really good point. I mean, it really was the post-World War II um, that drove the U.S. economy to just unprecedented heights, and that was really fueled by the GI Bill. They they put that out there thinking they'd help veterans, and they figured, ah, we'll help them buy houses and and all this to start businesses. And if they want, a few of them want to go to college, we'll cover that too. Well, they all signed up to go to college, and then you know we the fifties and sixties and seventies things rocked. And as you correctly pointed out, that it was about the seventies that. I think they started to look at this as a money grab opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's capitalism. That's what we do. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I'm saying try not to get taken advantage of. Try not to get taken for granted. Learn these skills and know the games that are played because people will play these games. And unless you figure out what leverage you have, what incentive you have to do certain things, you're going to lose because they don't care. If you make money in the United States, you're legitimate. If you can't make money in the United States, you are illegitimate. So you better learn how to make money. You know, Glenn, what do you do if a member of your own family is working the same scam on you? Because the reason I ask, (laughs) Andy and Alex are in studio. My wife, Catherine, is here. Our son, Andy, and our daughter, Alex, are in studio as well. And I want to ask them the experiences they had. But 
Catherine and I paid for the for the college uh, years of, of Andy and Alex, so it's all paid off and all the rest of it. But here's my problem, Glenn, and you need to help me with this. And, Doug, I need help from you, too. Okay, ready? So what I did <clears throat> to make sure all the bills got paid is I would transfer money into my wife's checking account, and then she would pay the tuition and the bills and whatever needed to be paid. She'd pay it out of that. Okay? So that's why it's all paid up. Everything was paid for. Everything's good. Now, the only problem I do have, Glenn, and you can do the math here, since, Alex, you graduated in what What year? From college or high school? College. 2011. Okay, 2011. So for the past 11 years, Andy and Alex have both been out of college, but that monthly stipend I send to her hasn't gone down at all. Now, what do you think's going on with that money, Glenn? See what I'm saying? It's inflation. <laughs> Cost of living increases. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, absolutely. What do you think of that, Glenn? All of a sudden, she she decides, no, don't worry about paying it for the tuition. I'm just going to keep it. I have a suggestion for your third hour. How about a marriage counselor? Oh, <laughs> Glenn, what do you think of that? Actually? I'm being threatened yeah. right here. You know? <laughs> he goes, yeah. In this corner at 5'10", 145 pounds. <laughs> yeah, I think... I, our our socialism in this in this country is our family and sometimes our community. Hopefully, yeah, our that's community. right. So, <laughs> that's right. So, it, you know, you are you are there to make sure that your family stays afloat. Now, I would yep. I would argue it would be best if you teach them how to keep themselves afloat occasionally. Oh, that, <laughs> more right? counseling. Um, <laughs> You should see the looks up here. (laughs) The the thing is, though, I mean, I know my father only learned ever how to be an employee. That's what he learned. Right. And so I only ever learned how to be an employee. And when you get in a position that money is something that your employer never gives you enough of, and that's the only way you know how to look at it, you're stuck. And you keep teaching, you perpetuate that stuckness. So my dad taught me the way that he learned how to succeed. He graduated from college, but he also went to Vietnam. So he's part of the GI Bill. He bought a house, bought a house low enough that accrued. Um, it, 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 it increased in value over the years. So he set himself up in the right way that was set up for him out of, out of that 50s machine, out of that 60s machine, right? And it's working for him, so that's all he had to teach me. But none of that stuff works for me. I bought a house in 2006 and went through the 2008 housing crisis. I bought a house at $395,000 in 2006. By 2012, it was worth 180. So obviously, whatever works for my dad and whatever he knows doesn't work for me because times change. The business Mm -hmm. models have changed. And the, the opportunities have changed. Some have increased, some have decreased. And you have to keep up on that. And your family has to, if they can, they help you to change that. But I think what's happening is, you know, parents only teach what they know. And what they know is no longer valid a lot of times. We have to take a very quick break. We have you for about 10 more minutes, Glenn. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. That'll be excellent. We'll take a quick break. Be right. Uh, Glenn Dunsweiler, spelled D-U-N-Z-W-E-I. 
uh, L-E-R. The book is called A Degree in Homelessness, Entrepreneurial Skills for Students. It's available on Amazon and everywhere. Right back. More with Glenn right after this. The 2022 Bloomington Boat Show is here and going on now. Get out of the cold and into a 25,000-square-foot heated showroom at Dan Southside Marine. A huge inventory of boats means the best deals of the year. Over 60 boats on display from Premier, Avalon, Berkshire, Alumacraft, and more. Explore what's new for 2022 at the Bloomington Boat Show at Dan Southside Marine. Six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington. Visit BloomingtonBoatShow.com. Tom here, and I'm talking with Brad Huckle and Mike Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked before about how working with a community bank like North American Banking Company can benefit business owners. Do you have an example you could share with our listeners? Our customers at Homeco Insulation and Blaine have been banking with a big bank for many years, but suddenly their calls weren't getting returned and their banker was unresponsive to their business needs. You can imagine their frustration. They had a successful business, wanted to expand, and their bank cut them off. They were ready to move on from their big bank. When they referred to us, we knew they wanted to work with a community bank that would be responsive and would take the time to understand their business and its needs. That sounds like a perfect fit. I know it can always reach out and not only talk to an actual person, but I'm talking to an experienced lender. They've told us the same thing, Tommy. Look, I know Brad and Mike, and I trust him with my banking. My whole family does. So why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, Glenn, I should let you know the music you're hearing in the background there is all played. Every instrument was played by Doug, who you were just talking to. Yet another just flood of talent coming from that boy. That's all I know. The best musician in the seven-county Mosquito Control District. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Or lack thereof. (laughs) Or lack thereof. Glenn Dunswaller, our special guest, ladies and gentlemen. Glenn, you've got some... Things but they're they're listed under guided questions, which I think is pretty in, incre- incredible. You've already talked about the pitfalls of following your passion. See, and I think this is a great idea. This is a brilliant idea, Glenn. The the pitfalls of following your passion without assigning a dollar value to it. People just assume they're going to go in, they're going to make a ton of money, and oh my God, it's going to be the greatest. But they have no idea what the actual dollar value is. So, aren't you always going to be either taken advantage of, or you're going to come up really disappointed? So the hardest thing to do is to be able to value yourself and to figure out what you can do that people will want to pay you money for and then defining what that is. Are you are you putting a value in your time? Are you putting a value on you as a product? Are you actually making a product? And how, how much are people willing to pay for that and why is that? And I always ask people, how much joy can you give people? And will they be willing to pay you for that joy? And how much is that joy worth? And I think that that's why luxury items 
are, are, are priced so high because the promise of the joy that they give through marketing, through the luxury, is it, it, it equals the dollar amount. So when I, I was talking to my business coach, and he says, well, are you a luxury item or are you a commodity? Are yeah, you coffee? Great. Are you beans? Or are you a Rolex? Whatever, and you have to define how you have to learn how to communicate your value to people. And I think in the employee model, we just expect our employer to do that work for us. But then our employer gets to say, This is how much you're worth. And if you can't do that yourself, and if you can't communicate that yourself, it's just it's an, it's an awful way to live because people just tell you how much you're worth. Well, I think there's two major types of self-valuation. So there's the kind you were talking about where it's like, you know, how do you set your wages? You know, am I worth an average wage? Am I worth an average wage plus 10%, et cetera, et cetera? But there's so many people under the age of probably 40, maybe even 50 at this point, where what they'll do is they'll go to college rack up $100,000 in debt so they can get a Ph.D. in interpretive dance theory or some right. other zero-value skill, and then they just kind of expect that everything's going to fall into place because they're like, oh, well, I'm the world's leading expert in this field at this point. But it's like you have to be able to make money somehow. You can't just be an expert and all of a sudden become rich. And people don't really right. think about that very often. Practicality, right. I guess, is the uh, the summary. Well, and it's also deniability of something that's uncomfortable, of the unknown. I don't know how I'm going to make money, so I'm just not going to pay attention to that. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I, I, I say you know, entrepreneurial skills are like vegetables. You know, when you are 18 to 22... You don't necessarily need vegetables. You can get by on fast food. Your body will work. But when you hit 25, you need to know, have no, someone has to tell you that vegetables exist and you have to be able to eat them to survive. And so, so entrepreneurial skills are the same way. You know, when you're in school, 18 to 22, you don't need to know these business skills necessarily. It's good. The earlier you learn them, the better off you are but you're really going to need them after your, your early 20s because it just gets harder if you keep ignoring it and you keep putting off those student loans. Now, I, I know people, their strategy is to com- be, be a perpetual student so they never have to pay their student loans. They'll die with student loans. And I don't know that that's a good model. <laughs> no, deferring no, like $2 million in debt? Yeah, probably not. Work for Diane Chambers. There you go. Or I I also know people that look to just teach. And so it's this kind of self-perpetuating circle of I'm going to go to school to learn something to be able to teach in Mm -hmm. school. And it has no outside value. It's just completely insular. And it, it doesn't touch the real economic world. And it, that's how people get out of touch, right? That's it. That's how you get PhDs in interpretive dance theory, and yep. then you get multiple PhDs in interpretive dance theory with no 
realization of what they're going to do with that knowledge. Right. And you know what they call a business where the value is based entirely on getting more people to join that business without any actual production. That is the classical definition of a pyramid scheme. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and actually, the, the, uh, the venture capitalist model that has now been going on where people are, are buying into something to build it for market share. So let's say um, the, the ride sharing or food delivery, none of those actually are making money, but they're using this Google model where we just, we're, we're trying to become the thing and then it'll pay off later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's kind of, we're all just kind of buying it. Even business world is buying into the pyramid scheme again. I, it's very attractive to people to just do it because it's cool. You know, I do that interpretive dance because it's cool. It's cool now, but what's later? Because the, the big realization also is you have to set yourself up for not, for being able to, to survive once you can no longer make now money. And that could be because you're, you age out because, you know, your body gets old, or your mind gets old. My, my grandfather always used to say, pay yourself first. I didn't know what that meant. And I was 19, I bought a Harley Davidson, and I went to him and I said, hey, look, Grandpa, I paid myself first. <laughs> that, that's not what it means. But paying yourself first, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> paying yourself first is making sure that you can survive after you can make now money. And we're not looking at that ever. So when you get interpretive dance, you're not going to be able to dance in your 90s, probably. And what if you live to your 90s? What are you going to do? How... How do you make that income from 40 years ago pay for you now? And that's also just part of this business realization that I think students don't have, employees don't have, but also the newer business models don't have. (laughs) It's just kind of crazy to watch. Glenn, it's pretty amazing. Does, does this all start K through 12? And the reason I ask that is because the school I went to, it's an inner city school in Minneapolis. School I went to, they did a, uh, a study, and they learned that a very, very, very high percentage of the students, and I'm talking about way up there, could not read beyond the, this is a high school, okay, 10, 11, and 12 that a sure. very high percentage of those students could not read beyond the level of a fourth grader. So does this all start in K through 12? Is anybody getting an education any longer? So my, uh, my ex-wife was a kindergarten teacher. My mother was a kindergarten teacher, and my father was a junior high and high school teacher. Um, and you think by all these millennia of teaching children, we know how to teach. But what's happening is... The business models, the the administration, the um, the the veneer of teaching our children is more important than actually teaching our children. And so, because the teachers are buried in their passion and they 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 have accepted that they're not going to get paid well, they they have no they have no ability to fix what the problem is and the and the problem is we're just shoving people in we're telling people it's fine and we're getting as many people through as possible and i was teaching on the back end of no child left behind where it's just we teach kids to 
past tense. Right, and right. That is not sustainable. I, I, my hardest job as a university professor was to get students to think for themselves. And, and writing came in that one, especially when I was teaching at CSU San Bernardino, because all these kids came from impoverished uh, families where their parents didn't even speak English. You know, their writing skills were, were lacking, but they had, had 10, 12 years of just people having, shoving tests in their face and saying, mark A, C, B, D, E, and then it will go to the next level. Because we, we statistics have meaning to us for some reason that I cannot figure out. But the realities of teaching does not. Like, if we can pass a test, we're doing well. The statistics show that we're doing well. But the realities are we aren't. We're just shoving people through with the promise of going to college, whatever that is. And I think that is the, that's the conundrum. And we're, we're picking up, it, it, it filters down through our parents because our parents are just in the rat race of going to work. Right. So they've got they've got kids, they've got jobs, they've got responsibilities, they've got bills, they've got commuting, they've got traffic, they've got car problems, they've got all this stuff just happening. So everyone's kind of scrambling and paying attention to just the numbers and not and I think that's the crux of the problem. Glenn Dunsweiler, D-U-N-Z-W-E-I-L-E-R. The book is called A Degree in Homelessness? A Question. Entrepreneurial Skills for Students. It's on Amazon and it's available everywhere. Glenn, we have to have you back again. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's fun. Have a good day, sir. Bye. Now, Alex, yeah. we didn't hear your take on it. What, what, what do you think? About which part? Well, going to college is kind of what we were talking about, and you have a college degree from St. Kate's, so I that's do. good. Well, the, you know, like the interpretive dance thing is interesting because, like, I, many of my friends have a degree in dance, and I was mm-hmm. going to go to college for a degree in dance. I have a minor in dance, but, and, you know, all of my friends that got degrees in dance, I want to say probably like 10 people that I know did and I think two of them are still working all the rest of them either got injured or had to retire oh dance dancers retire super young yeah it's like nobody makes it past 30 because it's just so hard on your body and I remember having that conversation with you mom we were driving in the car it was like I remember this conversation vividly we were driving the car from Orlando to the old house in Florida and uh, we were talking about college and all that stuff and you mm. were like cuz I was always just like I'm going to college for dance I'm going for dance I'm going to dance 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 and you then you were, were like all about the dance back then Yeah and you were like well back before you got old and broken Yeah like once like the rest <laughs> of us I'm not old or broken I'm in great shape well, you Thank said you past 30 you're past 30 Yeah but I'm not old and broken Love it Um they you were just like you know, dancer, if you get injured, uh, like... That could be that. There's, I mean, one of the greatest dancers that I know. She was an incredible dancer, went to Juilliard, just so talented. Got injured, like, two years after graduating, and now, mm. and now, like, she teaches dance now, but she, you know, like... It's like that's, sports, you know, one bad hit, that's the exactly. end of your career. And it's just, like, and that was the first time that I really thought about 
oh yeah like what if that did happen like would i just be a dance? i mean a lot of people either become dance teachers or have to go back to school mm-hmm. and well i wasn't so. even necessarily talking about just like you know dance in and of itself no but i know because dance but, produces something it's in yes. form of entertainment yeah but if you're like talking about you know how can we uh you know interpret specific forms of dance to be more relevant to modern yeah, yeah. politics no, I know what yeah I know what you were talking like that things that don't produce anything of any value at all whether it's intellectual entertainment you know tangible value that Well that kind was of like thing. I went to I toured NYU before I decided where I was going to go to college and they kept on talking about how they were so proud that you can make your own major. Yeah. They're like you can make like, your own major like somebody that goes to school right now is majoring in evil. Yes. And so I was how like, how do you get a job saying, what? Oh, I'm a major in evil? It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he can pick and choose his own an classes. Exorcist, I guess, and but you, that's a pretty oh, dead Yeah, field. and like you work with somebody like in the staff to make, cater your classes to blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, so like, but yeah. what? Yeah, to when what you, end? on that's your, the thing I don't is, know. Yeah, a lot of people think that just like intellectual pursuits are like a craft. It's like, you know, if you yeah. get really good at a craft, you can pretty much make whatever and sell it. It doesn't really matter what you make. Yeah. But when it comes to intellectual pursuits, that's not the case. You can become yeah. the world's leading expert in every field that exists, but unless you have a skill, you mm-hmm. can't do anything with that knowledge. Well, yeah, it's like I have a friend that spent so much money. She has her master's and everything in museum studies, and she sells glasses lenses now yep and like, never has worked in a museum or anything mm-hmm. involving a museum but she has so much student debt you have to think about yeah what are you going to what are you going to do if you don't land that dream job because yeah. with well, museum studies you either become a curator or you make, don't become anything at all yeah you could be so if you can't land a curator can, job then what yeah. do you do i know well and that's interesting because like dan and i are always talking about like oh we're because we want to we both were very fortunate that both of our parents were able to pay for our college, so yeah. we never had any student debt. And so Dan and I are like, we want to do that for our kids. And Dan's like, you know, I'm kind of hoping that they don't want to go to college because it's kind of a waste of time. Like, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> de- depending, depending on what you want to do. But like Dan, well, he went to college for marketing, got a job in marketing, right. still works in marketing. Like for it him, paid it was for him. Yes. Yeah, like for him, for it was very. Pe- I would. Yeah. I mean, of the people I know, I would say at least. 75% of them didn't end up in a field even remotely yeah. relevant to their degree. And I mean, in certain, like, when I was trying to get jobs right out of college in fashion, they were like, I was, it was between me and one other person to be the visual something, something, something at a store. Like, I would have done, like, styled all the mannequins and, like, made sure everything looked good and whatever. And they were like, oh, we actually decided to go with somebody else that didn't go to college and just has been working in the store the entire time. yeah, that sort of thing. Experience, those are very important. Yeah, and I was like, okay, so I have this degree in, like, fashion merchandising and design, but you... What the hell do you do with it? Yep. I have to say something. Okay. The, the thing that colleges are going to have to start doing to stay relevant because they're it, it student loans are one of the reasons why college is so expensive yep because they can sell the loans they can make a ton of money off That's of student true. debt. That's yeah. why. Mm-hmm. One, yeah. one of the and you can't multi- default on them. No, yeah, you yeah. Let you, no matter what. One of the multifaceted reasons why student uh, tuition is so high and. That could easily be addressed, but um, you know, there's no, there's no money in that. So you know, we all have politicians that are saying cancel student, 
student debt, well, that sounds really great on paper, but if we're going to continue on this path where everybody's going to school and it's going to cost fifty, seventy thousand, eighty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars to go to school, taxes will have to be so high mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's not I mean, very a lot of schools are going to have to shut down. And a very few people are going to be able to get in. The, the very brightest and the most talented. Well, that is how it, it was for how many hundreds of years. It was that's how but, it was until probably fifty years ago. Honestly, yeah. Well, it, I mean, you go you to college to if accepted. you want to be in like you know the top five percent of whatever the earth that yeah. field yeah, is. Most most people would be fine with a with an AA degree. Absolutely. Really, honestly, but a lot of businesses won't accept AA needs. degrees anymore. That's the problem. Well, that needs, yeah. Well, well, like I said, a lot of things need to change. But the thing that colleges could do, would they they could they could do outreach into the community and get these people connected to other people to get jobs, like the you know the people that want to get into dance, the people that you know want to get into you know, evil. <laughs> they're just going to have really to into evil. <laughs> you know i mean that's that's going to be they're going to have to do more um like job like honest job training mm-hmm. yeah like at saint kate's you had to do an internship that was like part of getting your degree you had to do an internship but that but it was like it didn't help you get a job it, like you got some experience but there was no like yeah it this will like, actually now help we'll, you. We'll get you to a recruiter or whatever. Yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah, it was like. I mean, well, hey, was... I said five uh, percent, nineteen forty. Twenty-five years and older college completion rate four percent. Whoa! What? Yeah. I'll go to nineteen sixty and see what it changed to. Not that much, actually. It's like eight percent. Well, it doubled. It did. Well, yes, it did double. <laughs> hey. that's, in, that's in twenty years, though, and that's only doubled. that's still well under ten percent. That means ninety-two percent of the population never completed college. And that's yeah. a, that's a twenty five years and older too. My so. my brother finished college at uh, Saint Cloud State, not exactly you know Harvard. No, I went it's to the fi- cheapest it's, it's, accredited university I could find. Yeah, it's a fine school <laughs> and all that. But my brother he ended up having a great career and he ended up managing people that had way bigger degrees mm-hmm. than yeah. he did. So it's not always school that's going to help. Yep. We have to take a break. We'll be right back with the second hour. I think Michael Bryan's coming in for He's the second hour. He's, He's right here. here. He's just oh, been you're there sitting already. and listening to listening. this riz- Wait a riveting how, conversation. How long have you been there? About an hour. I've been here about uh, 15 minutes. Yeah. I've never heard you shut up for 15 minutes. <laughs> Well, he's trying to... How would uh, you know? I have a question for Mike. What was your <laughs> undergrad? You? What did you uh, get your four-year in? I had a poli-sci history major and a minor in speech. Yeah, that most lawyers are, yeah, are history up. majors because of all the... It teaches you how to read. I didn't know I'd be a lawyer. I mean, yeah. lawyer, lawyer was kind of the backup thing, but... Um, what you really wanted to be was a museum curator. What I really yeah. wanted to be was a Spider-Man. That's really well, what yeah. I wanted to be. But, but I gave that up in like six or, or when I was five or six. Um, but that was my real desire. But no, I wanted to yeah. be in politics and work on campaigns and run myself. That was kind of the, that was what it was all about back then. That is kind of Are what you ever being a lawyer is like, though. It's like being a politician in a lot of ways. 
You got to know the laws. You got to market yourself. Huey Long said the three reasons you want to be a lawyer if you're if you're interested in politics is so that you can stay active in in ongoing things. Mm-hmm. That you, it's easy way to find a job because you can always go down to the courthouse and find work, and it gives you the ability to speak and talk to people and lead, and help people. Yeah. And so that was kind of the book I read, and that's the advice I got. And then I ended up ended up where I am. So. Who knows? We'll see at the end whether or not it was successful. Yeah, exactly. We'll take a break. Be back in just about five, six minutes. Michael Bryant has joined us. Doug Sprinthal, you're going to stay for the second hour, aren't you, Doug? Yeah, Mike doesn't want me to, but I'm going to do it just to piss him off. What, the <laughs> <light torch? laughs> I I do like piss him off. We'll be back.